Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast that uses humor as a coping mechanism to distract ourselves from the ever-present specter of our own mortality. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Uh, what, what is the punchline there? There isn't one. Body Farms has been on the list for a while. And it has. I think it's probably one of the first ones I added to the list. I'm pretty sure. I've I've read about them. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the movie or not the movie, the book. Um, fuck. <laughs> there is a book that's just called The Body Farm. No, it's uh, written by a lady who has other books. I have one on my shelf right now called Spook. It's about ghosts. But um, oh oh um not Caitlin Doty no no I love her the, I love okay. smoke gets in your eyes though that's a really good book um no that's about working at a crematorium ah fuck um <laughs> this is a great energy to start the episode <laughs> okay the author is named Mary Roach oh yes I've heard of her um I haven't read Spook yet uh it's been on it's called Stiff Stiff she has several books. Uh, Stiff is about cadavers and, like, what happens to them if you donate it and all that shit. Uh, she also has Bonk, which is about sex. Uh, Spook, which is about the afterlife. Um, and I then, love the, like, consistent branding she's got going on. I love it. Yeah, she has one called Fuzz. About bees? No, uh, the, the subtitle is Fuzz When Nature Breaks the Law. Oh, so, Fuzz. I heard uh, Buzz. Oh, like no. Bees. Stiff is a really good book. Um, it talks about body farms, but it also talks about, like, um using like human crash test dummies and like what happens when you donate your body to science and it, it's very good interesting i want anyway, to so, get that check that out but i retain so little information especially from a book that i read like four or five years ago so i'm excited to learn about body farms excellent i'm excited to teach you about body farms um i'm gonna list my sources before i forget because i always just kind of skip over them even though they're right in front of my face uh wikipedia all that's interesting vox bbc science focus and undark magazine um, and i am also going to add a content warning that there is a lot of talk about decomposing bodies in this episode as you may have guessed from the title um so if that's going to be upsetting to you I, want to skip I would it. recommend another podcast entirely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could go find another episode of this podcast, but like, I'd also avoid like our crime scene cleanup episode <laughs> and our incorruptible saints. Even though you should probably just you know skip the first like ten episodes, we didn't know what we were doing. We do generally talk a lot about dead people, though, so it comes up a lot. Uh, just historically, um, a lot of people have died. <laughs> This is true. Most people. <laughs> Most people have died. So, you know, it comes up when you talk about history, which we, we tend to do a lot. Yeah. This actually has very little. Well, there's there's a little history and we'll get to that. Uh, but it is mostly a this is something that people are doing now episode. And it's also technically a science episode, which I'm not great on the science, but, you know, we'll learn something together. Probably. It's been a hot second since we've done a, a science yeah. episode. Uh, so we should probably start by telling y'all what a body farm is, if you're not actually already familiar with it. Um, so a body farm is a research facility focused on the study of human decomposition under a variety of settings. So donated bodies are left out in the elements. So researchers, typically forensic anthropologists and kind of related fields, can study the process of decomposition and observe how a human body breaks down under different conditions. 
So more often than not, the aim is to apply this information in criminal investigations. It's a lot of like time of death. Oh, good timing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Per- so particularly. <laughs> Sorry, I realized that you were talking to June, but as soon as you said time of death. Oh, good timing. I'm like, um, no. <laughs> yes. The good timing of being um, a cat and annoying. <laughs> See, what you got to do is get a good sunbeam and then your cats will just pass out in that and not bother you until the sun goes she, down. She really doesn't do the sunbeams, honestly. I think it's because she's not used to them. There's only like a very limited time frame. So like summer, basically like spring to fall um, uh, is the only time I get direct light directly into my apartment. And you think she would take advantage of that. Sarah, that's three quarters of the year. No, no, it's like... April to maybe, like, September. So it's, like, six okay. months. Um, which probably makes sense. What? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Why do you do this? <laughs> she just does this all the time. She just sits there and she meows at me. And it's like, I don't know what you want. There's food in your bowl. I'm... <laughs> what do you want? What do you want from me? I'm losing you my mind. You sound like a hostage in a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what having a cat's all about? I woke up uh, in the middle of the night last night because I was just like readjusting. And Minnie had set up camp like right between Travis and my pillows. So I like roll over and there's just a fucking cat. She's like, hello. She proceeded to put her whole nose up my nose. As you do. Yes. Just a normal thing. But yeah, as I was saying, like, you would expect she'd take advantage of these sunbeams. Uh, but normally she likes to sit. If I'm on the couch, she's on my lap. If I'm not on the couch, she's exactly where I was sitting, um, but underneath the blanket. <laughs> she knows what she likes. Okay, so yeah, dead bodies. So now that this episode has gotten derailed literally between the first and second bullet points in my notes. Yeah, we call that the kitty cat chasm. Yep. Um <laughs> You just got lost in there for a while. Mm. Uh, so more often than not, the aim of these of this research is to apply this information in criminal investigations, particularly in cases where investigators might not have an exact understanding of when a victim died, which, as we'll talk about, is kind of important. Yeah, there was an episode about uh, of, of CSI where they visited a body farm. There are at least two episodes of CSI where they have a body farm. I know this from Wikipedia because I read it. Ah. <laughs> I know this because of who I am as a person. Yeah. And my interests. (laughs) Uh, So there are currently seven body farms in the United States, all of which are affiliated with universities. So they are the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Western Carolina University in Cullowee, North Carolina, Texas State University in San Marcos, Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Colorado Mesa University in Whitewater, and the University of South Florida in Tampa. That's a lot of really hot locations. Yes. Put a pin in that. Uh, Oh, good. Internationally, there are similar facilities in Australia, Canada, and the Netherlands. Okay, so we are getting some some rainy, uh, colder places. Uh, So... My f- this is the fact of the episode for me. Um, the first ever body farm was the result of a man admitting he was wrong. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the first body farm was an accident. Because <laughs> that seems like something that we discover on accidents. Historically, we haven't had a real grasp on like how exactly human bodies decompose. Despite the fact that, you know, it's a process that basically everyone goes through at some point or another in their lives. Usually the end. Yeah, I mean. I was literally just uh, listening to something about the Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, great guy. Stand up. Stand up for sure. 
wonderful gentleman. Um, but like knowing how people decomposed and like where worms and shit were supposed to be at given time, like actually helped them break. Well, kind of helped them break the case eventually. Um, a lot of other issues there, but yeah, but like it, it helped them kind of figure out that he like had come back to the scene, and right? Stuff. Yeah. Um, so before body farms, forensic scientists, scientists consulting on criminal cases, on criminal cases, often relied on research that had been conducted on pig carcasses. Um, pigs being at least somewhat comparable to humans, physiologically speaking. They're, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's not a perfect match, but they're like about as close as you can get, but also easily accessible. Yeah, it's what they use to practice tattooing yeah. on. Uh, so even now, many countries outside the U.S. still rely on this research, but it isn't perfect. Like I said, pigs are comparable to humans, but they're still pigs. And recent studies have shown that like they, along with like rabbits and mice and sheep and other animals that often get used as stand-ins for like scientific research, um, aren't actually suitable analogs for humans. Like, I mean, there's way less bacon on a on a human. Generally speaking, um, pigs also have like different gut bacteria, different diets, medical conditions, lifestyles. Like, pigs don't smoke or do cocaine or get diabetes, all of which kind of affects the way your body breaks down. So, like, there's doubt baked into the research, which isn't super ideal when you're in a court of law and you're trying to decide if the guy in front of you actually killed somebody or not. Yeah, I mean, it can't be a determining factor. It can be, like, useful information right. to have, but you can't base your whole case It's a framework, on it. but it's going to give you a, a, an educated guess versus... Yeah. You know. So, the first body farm was a brainchild of an anthropologist named William M. Bass of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, so, in 1977, Dr. Bass was asked to consult on the case of a corpse discovered at the grave of a Confederate soldier named Colonel William Shy in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, to be fair, it's not really unusual to find a body in a cemetery, but... <laughs> no, that's where they keep them. Generally, yeah. Uh, in this case, however, the soldier's grave had been disturbed, and the body found there looked suspiciously fresh. Uh, so investigators theorized that the body had been placed in the grave, um, either in order to cover up a recent murder, or maybe, like, a fresher body had been swapped in for the original to conceal a stolen corpse. Um, I, I have to say, I'm glad that um, I've already forgotten when you said this occurred, <laughs> uh, that we had moved past where the first reaction would be vampire. Because you know that there was a point in American history. There was indeed where we would have gone vampire. This was the set, the, the, the late 70s. So there was definitely at okay, least like, so yes, we were, there was definitely at least one cop in this case that was like, are we sure it isn't vampires? Satanists. <laughs> Satanists, Yeah. He was ahead of his time. Uh, Dr. Bass's initial examination seemed to confirm this, since the body was relatively intact and still contained most of its flesh. He estimated whoever it was had been dead for less than a year. But further analysis of the body's teeth and clothes revealed the opposite. The body was indeed that of William Shy, who had been killed at the Battle of Nashville in 1864. Oh my god, he actually is a vampire. A full century before Dr. Bass's original estimate twist of the episode. It was vampire have we not talked about the vampire killer of Franklin, Tennessee? <laughs> God, I'd watch the fuck out of that movie. But I'd want it to be, like, some guy named Leroy who, like, lives out in the outskirts. <laughs> not charming Confederate soldier Bill Shy. No, I mean, he'd be... I mean, he would join the history, me. the long... Uh, storied history of Confederate vampires, but... Well, God damn, I'd watch that, too. No, like... I'm I'm picturing 
guy named Leroy. The The title of the film is Hillbilly Vampire Hunter. <laughs> so a guy named Leroy, armed with nothing but a banjo and a sharpened stake that he calls Darla. That does sound very charming. Surprised. Yes, he is surprisingly anti-Confederate, but there's a shitload of Confederate vampires running around, and he has taken it upon himself in all of his non-racism to defeat the Confederate vampires and also make moonshine. There's going to be a scene where he takes a big mouthful of moonshine, sprays it at a vampire, and lights it. Emily, you've already written the movie. We can stop. We we can quit this podcast because we have a winner of an oh, idea and we're going to Hollywood. I've already cast. Oh, fuck. There's a writer strike right now. Um, now, who's that guy? Ah, uh, he was in Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, the guy from Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? The guy, the guy, the guy. Tim Blake Nelson. Yep. He'll be played yep. by Tim Blake yep. Nelson. Yeah, I see it. Ugh. And you know what? Fuck it. Chris Pine as the racist vampire. <laughs> He would kill that role, and you know it. Oh, I obviously i I know how he I know how he do. <laughs> All right, now that I've I've pitched the next summer blockbuster, please continue with your helpful and it well researched <laughs> stuff. So I hate to say it, um, but it wasn't Confederate vampires. Unfortunately, uh, it was just embalming in a tightly sealed iron casket uh, that had. Per- Damn, that is some good embalming. <laughs> Very though. good in like 1860s embalming. Fuck. But it was good enough to prevent his body from decomposing as it normally would have. Uh, so grave robbers had removed the body and then they just reburied it on top of the coffin. I don't know what their plan was. Probably just, I don't know, teenagers. The fact that we still had grave robbers in 1979. 77. 77. Sorry. So that makes it yes. more believable. Obviously. You, you never, you didn't hear about the great grave robber <laughs> strike of 1978 that did away with a professional. <laughs> we're really getting, we're really going down some wow. roads on, with this episode. That's great. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this whole this whole incident with the vampires in the embalming, it led to an epiphany for Dr. Bass, um, or so the story goes. Um, he'd kind of been bopping around this idea as a, for, like, a body farm since at least the mid-60s. Um, but it, it really, like, sold him on this idea that our understanding of human decomposition is garbage, actually. Uh, and we should probably study it. <laughs> Uh, and the best way to study it is to drop an actual human body somewhere and watch it rot. How do you pitch that to, like, the people at the university? I, I think it was a phased approach. Um, I think I was reading in the notes, like, originally they, like, they got some land, like, right behind, like, one of the, like, some, like, maintenance facility or, like, service facility, like, on the campus. And they, like, put a chain link fence around it and dumped a body there. And then eventually they got some land, and then eventually that turned into, like, a whole thing. Um, Does it specify how they acquired the body, or was it kind of, like, in the 19, or the, like, 1800s when they were stealing bodies to, you know, dissect, to learn? uh, So the first body was actually a 73-year-old man who died of heart disease, and he had donated his body. Um, And um, eventually this whole enterprise would turn into the University of Tennessee's Forensic Anthropology Center, which is... no longer like a chain link fence in the back of campus. It is a 2.5 acre wooded area just a few miles from downtown Knoxville. Uh, so next time you're on vacation. <laughs> I wonder if it's like driving past like an abattoir or like a paper mill when you're like, oh, yeah, yeah body yeah. farms. Just <laughs> This is actually like one of the sections of the Wikipedia article that I don't really cover in this episode is like controversies surrounding people wanting to start body farms. And everyone's like, isn't this place going to spell? <laughs> And they're like, well, that would be the main concern. Kind of. 
I mean, you know, you do what you do. Uh, so in the years since it was founded, researchers at the facility have scrutinized thousands of bodies left to decompose in just about every way imaginable, including buried, unburied, dismembered, stuffed into the trunk of a car, and rolled up into a carpet. And also many, many, many other ways, I imagine. I love, like, that there was probably some sort of meeting about, like, what scenarios they were going to do with the new batch of bodies. I feel like you can get really creative with it, and that's where the fun comes in. It's like, Stephen, we did rolled up in a carpet with the last one. What is your deal with that? (laughs) I'm just curious. So you probably have a lot of questions, and the top of that list is probably, I'm sorry, thousands of bodies? And yes, thousands. Uh, And that's just one facility. Uh, So where are they getting them? Well, the first and most depressing source is unclaimed bodies from local medical examiners. Yeah, that is the sad Yeah, one. it's also, uh, is it ethical? Uh, debatable. Um, I think many would argue that bodies have to go somewhere and they might as well go somewhere useful. But like, ideally, that should still be an opt-in scenario. Yes, you should have control over what happens to your body after it's gone. Yeah. But I guess at the end of the day, like... You're dead, man. Yeah, I honestly, like, personally, I don't give a shit. (laughs) But like, that, I mean, I don't get to decide that for everybody else. I don't know. It's, it's a fishy thing. Um, Fortunately, I think you have to go through official channels. Like, like, uh, Ed Gein definitely committed a crime with what he did. But like, using unclaimed bodies to like, do science is more of a gray area. Yeah. You're not turning them into furniture. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I would say there is an avenue um, for people to opt in. There are many individuals. Individuals can and do donate, choose to donate their bodies to a body farm after their death. So donors. Can you specifically choose yeah. it? So donors can actually register and they're even given a little card that they can carry around with them in their wallets, like indicating their intentions. Like if, if dead, send to the Knoxville, here's the address. I don't know. I don't know what it says. But I'm sure it's something like Ooh, that. I wonder if you could just do that with any address. Like, if dead, please mail to Trump Tower, <laughs> New York. And they have to honor your wishes. Yeah. Uh, the motivation for most is usually the desire just to make a positive contribution for science. Um, especially because, like, the requirements for donating donating yourself to a medical school or a hospital. Uh, or, sorry, the requirements for donating yourself to the body farm are much less restrictive than donating yourself to a medical school or hospital, which like they don't accept bodies that are above a certain weight. They don't expect accept bodies that have been autopsied or if like if you've ever had an organ removed, they don't accept you either. Uh, And body farms only reject you if you have an infectious disease. This is going to be like a weird sticking (laughs) point, but bodies that are over a certain weight, like go fuck yourself. It's almost like fat phobia is built into the medical establishment. (laughs) How are you going to know how this affects people in bigger bodies if you aren't studying it, you jackasses? Anyway. Yeah. Um, go listen to Maintenance Face. Uh, anyway, other donors <laughs> um, are part of the growing natural burial movement. So traditional funeral practice, as it turns out, are actually terrible for the environment. Um, embalming yeah. leaves behind harmful chemicals in like most modern caskets aren't biodegradable like you'd think oh it's They're also expensive it's very expensive that's also the next point is funerals are expensive and even just being cremated will set you well it'll set your loved ones back like a couple thousand bucks and at the end of the day most body farms offer free pickup within like 100 to 200 miles um two things 
uh, one, uh, the book that we briefly mentioned uh, by Caitlin Doty, uh, Smoke It's in Your Eyes. Uh, great, yes. great overview of the funeral industry. Um, she is amazing, and she's also a huge proponent of like natural burials. Mm-hmm. Um, second, my great uncle Chuck uh, used to pick up bodies in a truck and drive them places. That was his whole job. I, he was a body. I had a coworker who like man. did that like as a summer job when he was in college. I think he literally had a story where like he was driving a body back and it like sat up because of like not because it was alive, but because like the nerves like yeah. sometimes your muscles contract and like bodies will do that. <laughs> so that like I think happened that was a joke him. in the I think that was a joke in the first episode of Six Feet Under as it's well. Possible, yeah. I'm sure it's happened more than once. <laughs> <laughs> or that it was just haunted, but you know Yeah, that too. So, okay, so maybe you've been inspired. You're registering to donate your lifeless corpse to a body farm as you listen to this episode. What happens when you get there? Procedures do vary between body farms, but in general, the process is about what you'd expect. So once the body is unloaded and delivered to the lab, researchers take measurements, hair, and blood samples. Uh, They take photographs of any scars or injuries or tattoos you might have. Uh, And then you get an ID number to replace your name both for science and probably for the sake of the anthropologists who are going to have to watch you decompose. They're also all really big fans of Les yes. <laughs> uh, Whenever possible, your body is immediately placed on the farm for decomposition. And if there aren't enough staff around to do so, they like keep you, they stick you in a refrigerator for a couple of days just to make sure, you know, you don't get a head start <laughs> when it is time. I mean, at that point, I think you already would have because you had to be transported there. Like, you got a like a day or yeah, two, but the, there's a window. I think uh, they just <laughs> need to make sure they freeze you in that exact window. Uh, when it is time to place you, you'll be taken to a specific location on the body farm, depending on what kind of research your body has been earmarked for. So, like some are left in the open sun, others are put in like more shaded areas. Um, some, like especially in Texas, where there are vultures, they have to place the body beneath cages, or else like the vultures will get them. Um, and then also they like will leave them out because they want to see what it looks like when the vultures get you. So I think that would different. be my biggest yeah. disappointment. Like I'd want to do this, but I'd be sad that I would never know what how they chose. I wonder. Like, am I gonna be in a pool? Are they gonna roll me up in the rug? Am I gonna be in a hot car? Like, I want to know what they're gonna I do. If you could request that. Like, I... That they, like, use a Ouija board to tell you? <laughs> no, like, before, like, when you register, you're like, okay, I'm going to donate my body to this body farm. I want you to put me in the trunk of a hot car. String me up from a tree. <laughs> I want you to dismember me in pieces and scatter it about the farm in an elaborate stage, <laughs> staging for the cops. This is how I'd want to be murdered if I were murdered, yeah. so... Oh, you're going to get a lot of perverts if you open that yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Uh, depending on the size of the facility and the state of their donations, there will usually be several bodies out at any given time. Uh, they also have like weather stations on site that continuously log things like temperature, solar radiation, precipitation, and other metrics, like stuff they wanted like take into account, along with the body itself in kind of creating these models of decomposition. And now, this is great. <laughs> we're at the part of the episode where we get to talk about what happens to you after you die. I hear there's a tunnel uh, with a light. And then you hear the angels you're singing. You're not supposed to go. And you're at the pearly gates, and God comes, and he judges you. And then he sends you to hell. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to hell. <laughs> oh, could we have some Christian listeners? <laughs> uh, so this is the part where we, we get into... Um, 
some of the nitty gritty details. So if you haven't tapped out already, this is probably it. If you haven't tapped out already, congratulations on hearing my wonderful pitch for <laughs> Hillbilly Vampire Hunter. This is the reward. Yeah. You you should actually let's tease that and let's like clip the clip that little bit out and put it at the end of the episode. So they have to listen to this part and that's the reward. So if you listen to hear about how squishy and soupy you get after you die, then you get to hear me pitch Hillbilly Vampire Hunter. It sounds like a really good movie, guys. Tim Blake Nelson. I'd, I'd stay tuned in. Uh, so in the early hours and days after death medical examiners typically rely on three hallmark measurements that you've definitely seen mentioned on law and order and also probably in this podcast to determine time of death so there's all and csi (laughs) all gore and ncis all all of the cis t suv and criminal minds (laughs) so there's al gore modus Algor mortis, which is body temperature, rigor mortis, the the famous one, which is stiffness, and liver mortis, which is like how the blood has settled in your body. Oh, it's not them determining how much you look like a former vice president? Sorry. That was a flawless Al Gore joke, (laughs) and I demand respect. I don't get the connection between liver and Al Gore. Oh, Al Gore. Gore That was like two... Two things ago. Well, you were on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> Timing is everything in comedy, Emily. You of all people should know this. <laughs> so once I was being polite. Once decomposition sets in, uh, those traditional signs fade away, and we start measuring against a much longer timeline. So forensic anthropologists mark five physical stages of decay. So there is fresh before things get really upsetting. Um, Very technical term. Bloat when the body fills with gases. Active decay when the soft tissue breaks down, begins to break down. Advanced decay, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, and lastly, dry skeletal remains. Which is also exactly what it sounds yeah, pretty like. Pretty much. They're really, you know, they're all kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> the first stage begins shortly after death. With the heart no longer beating, your body cells become unstable and begin to rupture. Uh, on the outside, that means fun words I love to say, like skin slippage. And putrefaction. <laughs> Buckle up, Emily. With your body's immune I, system out of the way, bacteria take control and begin feeding off of solid the solid components of the body. And in doing so, they release gases such as hydrogen sulfide, carbon dioxide, and methane, all of which cause the body to swell. And smell. Yes, that too. Uh, a body in full bloat, as researchers say, can expand to twice its previous size. Uh, and sulfur produced by the bacteria also can tint the body yellow, part of a process called marbling. I had a joke about eating too much Taco Bell and bloating and then smells, but you made it's too gross now. Yep, sorry, I ruined it. it. Um, bloating also triggers the arrival of flies, who will lay their eggs in any exposed orifice they can find, which is usually the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. And butthole, sorry. Yes, all of those That's holes, true. too. It's, it's soft tissue. I <laughs> In a couple of days, those eggs hatch into maggots, and those maggots begin feeding on the remains. Uh, a fun fact observed by the body farms is because so many eggs are laid right on your face... Um, that's also where the most maggots hatch and where the flesh is consumed the fastest. So um, that will leave you with some very upsetting bodies where all you have left up top is like a skull and the rest of your body is still bloated and swollen. Um, so this is scientifically the worst stage. Scientifically, it's <laughs> fucking gross. Um, I'll also just like interject here that we will not be posting pictures of bodies to the Instagram. I was going to ask what your plan was. I don't know. There's not going to be much of a slideshow. It's going to be. Um, 
maybe a smiling picture of Bill Bass, and that's it. Do you want me to Photoshop the uh, poster for... <laughs> yes, please do. For Billy Vampire Hunter? Um, if you are really curious and you want to see the All That's Interesting article, if you Google just like Body Farms, it's probably on the first page. It's going to pop up. Go read that one. They've got all the pictures. <laughs> you can go look. It's pretty great. We're not going to judge you. I mean, I've I've peeped a crime scene photo a oh, time yeah. or two. Like they're they're really I don't know. I've, I'm not going to say they're not that bad, but I have a very high tolerance for things like that. So don't don't trust me. We've on been that one. perverts for a while. Yes, this is true. Uh, after three days, the body moves to the third stage, active decay, or as a Vox article so delightfully puts it, uh, purge. Ugh. During this stage, the skin bursts open to relieve mounting pressure from the gas. And your body will shrink as all its fluids start to leak out. At this point in decomposition, the remains are so rich in nitrogen that the purge itself actually like kills off the surrounding vegetation. Uh, but then, of course, in later stages of decay, like all the other stuff that gets released acts as a fertilizer. So like the plant life comes back like really lush and beautiful and strong. So that's nice. It is nice. It also makes a good case for natural burials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third stage lasts around a few weeks to the point where bacteria and maggots have managed to consume most of the body's flesh. From there, your body enters the longest stage, which is in advanced decay. Uh, here's where you can get a lot of varying results, kind of depending on the environment your body is left to rot in. So like in arid, sunny climates like the ones in Texas, like the heat is too inhospitable for flies and bacteria, so they don't stick around very long. So you're kind of more likely to dry out and mummify, whereas like... If you're left in somewhere kind of shady or simply just die in somewhere nicer than Texas. <laughs> There's a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, they'll likely they'll stick around until all the flesh is gone. And then you'd like you turn into a skeleton. Not a hot one either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So the major question body farms are trying to answer is how to best calculate the postmortem interval or time since death. Uh, this is obviously an important aspect of any forensic investigation that involves a body. So like when, especially like when it comes to unidentified remains, having an approximate idea of when the person died can drastically narrow the number of missing person cases you are comparing that body to. Um, yeah, it's one of those sciences that arguably it would be nice if it didn't have to exist, but, but it does. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, in homicide cases, knowing the time of death is also critical for establishing an alibi and evaluating or sorry, establishing a timeline and evaluating alibis. I mean, it could also be important <laughs> establishing an alibi, depending on who's investigating. Police are already really bad at solving murders, so they really do need all the help they can get. That's my one job of police in this episode. <laughs> I mean, it's not incorrect. I mean, look it up. The statistics for closure rates on homicides, real bad. I think one day I went into like an ADHD blackout and did the math on what the clear rate for the crime lab in CSI was compared to the actual murder rate in Las Vegas, and they are not good at their jobs. I imagine those numbers were drastically different. Was there ever a CSI case where they didn't close the case? Yes. Okay. It's been a long time since I've seen an Um, episode of CSI. It's very rare. Uh, Sometimes it actually is an accident, uh, so it's not actually a murder. Yeah, that makes sense. But that would still technically like count as a cleared case. Yes. Uh, I haven't done Miami or New York, but I have a feeling the the, uh, numbers are close. Uh, So by observing decomposition in a controlled setting like the body farm, researchers not only have a better grasp on the process itself, but also a better grasp 
and how different environmental factors play a part in the timeline of decomposition. Similarly to like the climate thing we talked about before, like something like rolling a body into a carpet actually like retains heat and moisture and therefore accelerates the rate of decay. Um, oh, weird. I thought it would protect it from yeah, the elements and slow it down. Something as simple as whether the body is clothed or unclothed makes a difference. Um, in research done on body farms has given forensic anthropologists a model for each. Uh, researchers, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I forgot what I was going to say in that, like, 0.5 second gap. You tried. <laughs> yeah. Researchers has, have also been able to develop better time of death estimates based on, like, which gases are being emitted from the body at any given time. Like, observation has shown that, like, the body releases gases in a very particular pattern over time, which is interesting. Um, there's also been some breakthroughs in the search for missing bodies. So, researchers have determined that, like, there are specific kind of... Ca- specific chemicals that accumulate around dead human bodies and so if they can like detect those chemicals they could possibly lead to finding bodies uh there's also current research into ways investigators can use drones with like infrared cameras to find bodies like um particularly in early stages decomp like between the bacteria of the maggots and all the chemical reactions happening within the body like that has a heat signature and if you know what that heat signature is and know what to look for, like, that could be picked up by a drone. Sorry, I just remembered this video I saw of the people using an infrared camera and catching people farting in public <laughs> because the heat signature yep. changes. Yeah, that's the thing. Those are good cameras. We have the technology. <laughs> we just need to use it um, more than for finding farts. <laughs> so... <laughs> Even in the later stages of decomposition, when all you've got is a spooky skeleton, uh, it still might be possible to find bodies by identifying, I love this combination of words, uh, what's known as a cadaver decomposition island, uh, which is basically everything that gets left behind from the fluids that seep out of a decomposing body into the surrounding soil. So using near-infrared photography, um, like they can pick up on like where the soil has been enriched, like where... You know, the area that you're fertilizing <laughs> because like it yes. reflects light differently. So you can kind of like look through a specific lens and kind of see that. Man, science is weird. Yeah. In this, okay, so now we're going to get into the, the real cool stuff that they're doing. Um, some of the most exciting developments to come out of body farm research centers around the miniature ecosystem that happens inside your body. They call it the necrobiome. Oh my Great god, name. that sounds like such a fun video game. <laughs> So it was previously thought that the bacteria that drive decay were like the same species of bacteria that like are already present inside your body while it was alive. Like they're just turning against you like a cat when you die in your apartment. Yeah, essentially. They're like, oh, free food now. (laughs) You know, so yeah, you don't have (laughs) an immune system or you don't have, you know, the physical ability to move your cat out of the room to eat you. (laughs) I mean, they haven't tried to do it when I was still, well, no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My cat bites me a lot. She's testing the waters. Um, Anyway, more recent research has found that it's actually like a succession of different species over time. Like some of them are are the bacteria in your body. And then there are others that like get delivered to the body by flies and other insects. Um, I knew those bastards were up to something. This is very cool. There's actually like a species, some species of bacteria that will release chemicals to attract certain kinds of insects. And then once those insects go to the get to the body, like there are proteins present in their saliva that kills off competing bacteria. Jesus. Yeah. Very sophisticated for like a single cell organism. <laughs> uh, maybe more than that, but like very simple organisms here. 
So like long story short, it is like a very much more complex ecosystem than we initially believed. Um, and it's only recently that advances in DNA sequencing and machine learning have made it possible for us to actually identify which each which of these or which each of these organisms are. So what they've learned is that different microbes play different roles during each stage of the process. It's a very complex pattern, but it is a pattern and patterns are predictable. Um, so there's a quote by her name is Jessica Metcalf, Metcalf, and she's a microbial ecologist at Colorado State University. So she basically her quote was, as different nutrients become available, different microbes flourish. So you see different profiles at different times. This is periods. such a weird episode of Magic School Bus. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that episode. They did a whole one where there was a song about poop. I shit you. So not, this would Nathan be right Fillion. up their alley. Yeah, Nathan Fillion played a botanist <laughs> who created his own fertilizer, <laughs> and Dorothy Ann had a whole song about poop. That's an episode I will never watch. Thank you. Do you regularly watch them? No. Um, I love that I've just spent this whole episode talking about decomposing bodies without like merely a squick, and I'm like poop. No, thank you. Yeah, a weird line <laughs> to draw. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> back to microbes. Microbes. Uh, essentially, this whole idea is that, like, if you map out the profiles, like, you could, the idea is that you could, like, take a sample of from the body, sequence the bacterial DNA from it, and use the concentration of different species to identify exactly how long it's been in decay. In theory, <laughs> it is still a theory. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, this takes a lot of time and effort and, like, getting police departments to use that information to solve cases seems like it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So Jessica Metcalf, she um, estimated the research is on track to providing forensic tools within a few years, but that'll be like much, much longer, like probably a decade before like it, the research even reaches the standards required to be admissible in court, which like good. Um, Forensic science can be incredibly persuasive and it like should actually hold up to some basic scrutiny. So like, don't get me started on like bite mark analysis. I hope they really like take their time in developing this because this could really skew <laughs> a lot of cases if you do it wrong. Well, they just got to use it on like a murdered rich white lady and then that will. Yeah, and that'll be fine. And then it will be like another 15, 20 years before we start using it on like poor people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which is all to say, this is kind of, I'm we're right up on the conclusion of this episode. There's still a lot we don't know. We know how bodies decompose. In the conditions that these body farms are able to replicate. So like, but like a facility in Tennessee can't tell you what exactly it looks like when a body decomposes in Norway. So what we've learned is that decomposition varies a lot from region to region. It's incredibly dependent on local conditions. So like rainfall, soil type, insect scavengers, like not to mention the kind of variables in diet and lifestyle that are going to be different for every single individual person. <laughs> like, I guess that makes a good case for there being a body farm in every state yeah there really should be like for research um but also i think like still at the same time it's like you're never going to be able to replicate every single individual condition which i don't think you need to i think we can definitely like you can do a lot of research and extrapolate a little bit and it's fine but i just want to like really draw drill down on kind of the uncertainties around this research as well like we're learning well, a lot of cool stuff but it's not like foolproof perfect forensic science well, by yeah, any like, means. I mean, you can have a, a body that you think like decomposed in like very specific things, but what you might not take into account is that like it rained when it wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to. Yeah. 
Um, so I like this quote from Jennifer DeBruin, who's doing research into the microbiome at the University of Tennessee. And this is what we're going to end on. So she, she says, we need to step back and observe the whole system. Chemistry, maggots, microbes, soil. This is classic ecology observing the ecosystem, but that's not the forensic way. The forensic way tends to be looking at one specific thing. So I'll, yeah, I'll leave it on that thought. I didn't want to turn this into a whole um, skepticism into forensic science episode because I, I got to do one of those at some point. But you actively vetoed me doing an episode about forensic science because of that. <laughs> yeah, because I'll be the bummer. Uh, yeah, and I've also tried to write that episode and gone, this is too depressing. I don't well, want to Well, here's the it. thing. Are you ready for this? Um, yeah. So this, like, body farms, the information we get from body farms is more reliable because they're measurable. Mm -hmm. They are actually doing they're the actually research. They're actually doing the research. This is the thing. And there's, you know, measurable things like temperatures and substances. There are yes. controls and, like, yeah, things they can point to. Whereas you get something like blood spatter analysis i can i can feel that vein in your head just like starting to go which can be helpful but it shouldn't be used to determine anything so like if you walk in and yes. you're like oh those splatters look like it may have been like a long weapon because of how it landed it gives you a starting point but where body farm science can be like this is present so those only show up five days at like there's a more definite element to it it's less subjective. Yeah. And I certainly, yeah. And I certainly think like stuff like blood spatter, it certainly can suggest things and suggest avenues of investigation, but it shouldn't be like, we know this is, we know exactly what the murder weapon was. Oh, it should this, absolutely this, this. not like, be you used. Can't, you can never be that certain with science, science and well, I don't know if you like remember that. that episode of Forensic Files where they convicted that woman because she had blood spatter on her nightgown that was apparently consistent with like murdering her child. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. I'm sure I've seen, like, I think there's, like, five of them like that. But that's true. Um, but, like, that absolutely shouldn't have been the thing that, like, yeah. they rested their case on because it is subjective. But where you have, like, things that you can scientifically measure, mm -hmm. it lends more of a, like, credence to it, I guess. Yeah. Actually, we've made my point, so we don't need to do the forensic science episode anymore. <laughs> well, that's good. Right. I'm glad we took care of it. Yeah, I do think body farms are cool. I didn't want to, like, end this episode saying, look at all this cool stuff, but uh, do we really? No. Like, body farms are cool. I think this is interesting research. I think, like, yeah, we should have a body farm in every state. Yeah, I, I think that's that's useful information to have. Like, all of the forensic sciences, to a certain extent, are useful. It's just how they're applied. Like, we can't make one the end-all, be-all of, yeah. you know, like like DNA. <laughs> which also shouldn't be the end all be all like you no, should there have are problems with DNA evidence. too. Yeah. Like there's everything can be flawed. You just have to like have a big collection. That's what making a case is, is you have a lot of evidence yeah. as opposed to one thing. And DNA is actually a really great example. Back to my point about forensic science. I'm the last time I'm going to do this. Like <laughs> DNA is DNA and like there's a certain DNA, but also DNA is something that's being, uh, you are, you still are like applying your human like uh, objective uh, no i'm not phrasing this right <sighs> cut that out and make me sound smart no one's gonna get mad at us for whatever no. you say it's not missing 411 so just say it <laughs> i'm like forgetting what word i want to use uh, what is fuck that is a word to use you're gonna text me at like two i'm gonna think morning. of it as soon as we like not observing 
At the end of the day, DNA is solid science, but it's still subject to human bias and outside elements affecting it, so it's not like the end-all be-all. You can't rest a case on it. That's exactly what I've been like struggling to say for the last five <laughs> minutes that we just cut out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being more eloquent than me. <laughs> Look, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's... That's all there is to say about body. I mean, there's yeah. probably a lot more to say about body farms. Definitely but- went on a weird tangent there at the end, but you know what? We got to talk about thing. dead bodies for a whole episode. Which we haven't done in a minute. It's been a while. Um, good news is that uh, we won't in the next mini, but we will talk about more dead bodies in the next episode. Spoilers, I guess. More on, 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 it's a, less about the bodies and more how they ended up that way. But I've like forgotten what you are doing your next episode on. So I'm just like, um, I, there was a lot of debate about what I was going to do my next episode on, but uh, you can text I'll, to I'll me later. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> if you've been to a body farm, <laughs> if you are a body on a body farm, yeah. um, if you've ever decomposed, <laughs> If you've ever decomposed, you can uh, tell us about it on Twitter at Afternoonified and Instagram at Afternoonified. Um, we are also at getafternoonified.com. Uh, there's uh, an email uh, form that you can fill out to tell us, or you can just email afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Um, also on our website, you can find our merch, and that is the big announcement. Yes. The Jeff, the Jeff the Talking Mongoose merch is live. You can have Jeff as drawn by the beautiful Avalon Leonetti. Uh, in any form that you would like. Well, maybe not. He's on t-shirts. He's on mugs. He's on mouse pads, probably. cases. <laughs> I could do mouse pads, but I didn't, because who the fuck uses mouse pads anymore? Me. I have a mouse pad. <laughs> I gotta have the little cushion for my wrist. Yeah, it's definitely available on t-shirts, phone cases, tote bags, backpacks, coffee mugs. I can do a bucket hat if that's something that you weird uh, Gen Zers are into. I can't wear a bucket hat without looking like uh, I'm going fishing. I mean, I think that's what most people who wear bucket hats look like. But I mean, some people really own it. So you either look like you're going fishing or like you're in a a band in the early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. So Jeff Merch is live. Um, Thank you so much, Avalon. I love him. Avalon is Uh, the best. Claps for Avalon. Yay. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, also remember to rate, subscribe, mm-hmm. review, and all that fun stuff. And um, we will see you next week. Yes, uh, with with fewer decomposing bodies, probably, definitely. I'd hope so. We've already recorded it, and I don't recall, but maybe I blacked out. All right, goodbye, guys. <laughs> goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.